you're standing with about two million people. It's the most important day of your year. It's the Day of Atonement. It's Yom Kippur. You're out in the wilderness. You've been out there several days, a few months actually. Moses has gotten the Ten Commandments. He's been up on the mountain. You've had a couple of problems. You got mad and had a golden calf. But you're now pretty much put together. You built yourself a little worship center. It's called the Tabernacle in the Wilderness. It's not big. You can't go in. Only the clergy can go in. Well, you can go in if you have a sacrifice. Just a little tiny bit and only a few at a time. It's only 150 feet long. It's 75 feet wide. And it's seven and a half feet high. And that's just a fence. It's a pretty fancy fence. But those are the dimensions, 150 feet long, 75 feet wide, seven and a half feet high, and a 30-foot wide entrance at the front end. No other entrance. That's it. Just inside that 30-foot entrance, there is a, an altar that is about seven and a half feet square and about four feet high, and that's called the altar of burnt offering. Just behind that altar of burnt offering there is a uh, wash basin that is called the laver, or wash basin would be just fine because that's what a laver is. You'll see it in the restroom. La was, your, <laughs> wash your hands. Okay, it's the laver. Okay, and that's where the, the priests wash their hands because the sacrifices were, were messy. And behind that was a second tent that was... 40 feet long and 15 feet wide and 15 feet high, and it was divided into two parts. The first part of it, as you went in, the first part, well, you had to go through a veil to get in, the first part was 30 feet long, 15 feet wide, and 15 feet high. And as you walked in, on your right, that there was a table with showbread, some bread on it. On your left were some golden candlesticks, seven of them to be exact. And in front of you, in front of another veil, there is a small altar. It's about a foot and a half square and about four and a half feet high. And incense is burned on that. And then there is a, a veil. And now there is a 15-foot cube and that place is called the Holy of Holies. The first 30 by 15 is called the Holy Place, and the 15 by 15 cube is called the Holy of Holies. Inside the 15-foot cube, there is only basically one item, though it's in two parts. There is a box. However, it's not just a plain box, but it's about the size of an orange crate. And this box is made out of wood. However, it is covered with gold all the way around. On top of the box, there is a lid. The lid is made out of solid gold. And on either end of the lid, there are angels. And angels are looking at one another. And they are all looking over the top of this box. And this box is called, or this lid is called the mercy seat. The box is the Ark of the Covenant, and the lid is called the mercy seat. 
And incidentally, when someone tells you that you can't have any images in church because the Bible says thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image of any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or on earth beneath, which Moses said, if anybody tells you that and says that proves that you shouldn't have icons in the church, that person simply does not read the Bible for what it says. Because just after that instruction is given, Moses giving that instruction, he tells them to make these images of these angels made out of solid gold. Don't ever quote to me that passage and say that thou shalt not make any graven image has to do with our icons because Moses tells them to make images and put them on the most holy place on God's green earth. And have I ever quoted that passage many times to go against our icons and the Catholic's images? I was just brain dead, that's all. I mean, I could read the thing in the, in the original language, I just, didn't want to, I just didn't want to accept what it meant. That's all. Okay, that was just a little aside that you got free. Today, we're going to have a special sacrifice. What we're going to do today is we're going to offer two goats. We're going to offer a, one goat is going to be killed and its blood is going to be taken into the holy place and the other goat is going to be killed and it is going to be scattered out it's going to be taken away and that goat is called the scapegoat and that's where we get the expression that we use scapegoat the priest is going to lay his hands on that first goat the scapegoat and it's going to be taken out by some man so far away that it can never ever be seen again no one will ever find it you know what that is telling us? It is telling us that as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us because the priest had laid his hands on that goat and as he laid his hands on that goat, he confessed all the sins, his own sins and the sins of the people. And so on that goat were all our sins and that goat was taken away. And the imagery for us is what we are being taught by that is that our sins are utterly removed. But the second goat is slain, and the second goat, the priest takes some, the high priest takes some of the blood of that goat, and he takes it. Now he's out here at this, this goat is killed out here at this four and a half foot square altar, killed out there, but it's not burned on that altar, it's blood. At that time, it's blood is taken, and some of that blood is taken through the 30 foot, the entrance into the 30 foot section, and for the only time of the year, he goes into that 15 foot cube. Now, he's actually all been, already reached in there a couple of times today because he's burned some incense in there, but this is the only day he goes in, and he goes in and he sprinkles the blood of that second goat seven times, that's the number of perfection, he sprinkles the blood of that goat before the Ark of the Covenant with its mercy seat. And on that day, all your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven because the blood of the sacrifice is taken into the Holy of Holies. Your sins are forgiven, and you see they are forgiven because that other goat is taken away so far you cannot see it. Now, you need that imagery to understand today's epistle. Because if you don't understand that, the epistle is relatively meaningless. Because here's what we read. In the epistle, and I won't read it all, it talks about God 
making two unchangeable affirmations about our salvation. But this is what he says. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope, are you with me? And you've got to be listening or you're going to miss everything. A hope, a hope, follow me, a hope that enters into the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Where did he go? On that day, the high priest went into the inner part, through the veil, into the inner part. Now, you can't see any of this because there's only a 30-foot entrance and there's a couple of million of you out there. You may be out on the fringe. You saw the goat go, but you do know what's going on in there. And the most important minute of your life or a few minutes of your life the moments that that high priest is in that holy of holies sprinkling the blood of that goat in there because as he does that you are absolutely clean turn to page 28 in the book i think that we have two editions here and so the numbering may but be not be the same the choir is has just sung I have just said, singing the triumphal hymn, shouting, proclaiming, and saying. You with me? Is that on page 28 in your book? If it's not, find it. 26? Okay, there's, you see, we had to do 12-point type for the deacon. Just sing, holy, 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 Lord of Sabaoth. Okay. Now, follow me, whatever page you're on. This is a prayer. It is addressed to God the Father. And just before the hymn, just before the, we begin to sing, holy, 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 here we go. Thou art praised by angels and archangels, thrones, dominions, principalities, powers, and the many-eyed cherubim, round about thee stand the seraphim, one with six wings and the other with six wings, with two they cover their faces, with two their feet, and with two they fly, crying one to another with unceasing voices and ever-resounding praises. Isn't that a great scene? Can you imagine it? The angels and the archangels, the cherubim and the seraphim, six-winged, many-eyed, soaring aloft, born in their wings. Wouldn't you love to be there? Well, look at the next words after the choir's done, or you're done. With these blessed powers, O Master, who love mankind, we sinners also cry aloud. With whom? With them. Where? Where they are. Until you grasp the reality that this divine liturgy takes place in the inner shrine. Did you just catch that? When Jesus was crucified, what happened to that veil that the priest had to go through? What happened to it? It was torn. It was 30 feet high, by the way, in the temple, and it was about six inches thick. It was torn from top 
to bottom. That is what this iconostas, amongst other things, represents. We go in to the holy of holies. We enter in. It is not that the angels are somewhere off in some distant heaven, singing around, having a singspiration up there in heaven. What they are doing is what they always do. They are singing to the Lord, to the all-holy trinity, but we join them. Now, the simple truth is that on our service, that it is I, it is the deacons, it's the clergy who enters in, but believe me, you really go in with us. We just can't get everybody crammed in there. But you're there. That's why I'm even dressed the way I am. Folks, I am not wearing a business suit. I'm not wearing a coat and a tie. I am the icon, the priest is the icon of the Lord himself. He is the icon of where the Lord enters into the holy place. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul. We who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to seize the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope now watch me, a hope that enters in to the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, having become a high priest forever. For 11 years here, I have wanted so much that you grasp the reality that what takes place in this divine liturgy is that we enter into heaven. We enter in with the Lord. We enter in. We have the icons. That all helps us. We enter in. We sing with the angels. And when you're singing, it's not Valerie or her choir singing. It's Valerie and her choir and you joining the archangels. Not just them. Actually, what you just said, now we're praised by angels and archangels, thrones. Those aren't thrones that talk, those are powers, dominions, principalities, powers, and the many-eyed seraphim, round about thee stand the seraphim, and so on, singing the triumphal hymn. With these blessed powers, we also, we also, we're singing with them. We're singing with all those powers that were named. It's not only they are there. If you go on down through the prayer, it's the prophet, forerunner, and Baptist John. And it is especially our all-holy and immaculate lady, the Theotokos and ever-Virgin Mary. That's who's at the service. And that's what this epistle reading, that's what that is here to show us. It's there to teach us. It's not for some cute story about Jew, how Jews carry on their worship in the wilderness. It's about how the people of God have forgiveness of their sins. And so today as we read this epistle, I want you to see two things. In your mind, I want you to see that goat that carries away all those sins and disappearing never to be seen again. What was on the goat? Whose sins? You've got to say the right word. My sins. How far away are they? As far as the east is from the west. So far has he removed our transgressions from us. And in the Old Testament, 
in the story, the imagery I showed you, how long was the priest in there? Seconds. Where is our great high priest? He's in there, and he hasn't come out yet. And while he's in there, how about your sins? They are taken care of. It's a sure hope. It's steadfast and sure, is it not? What a grand thing. As I enter in today and as we enter into the remainder of this service, you need to see yourself as entering in with him who has gone into the inner part of the temple in the heavenly holy of holies, there to offer his body and blood to the God and Father of all mankind. What a great thing. I want to tell you how I learned this. I was taught by my parents in my Sunday school to sing that we have an anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll. You have an anchor that keeps the soul. Trust God to forgive your transgressions that they're taken away. Trust God that they're forgiven as long as he's in there. When he comes out, don't worry. He's just come to get you. <laughs>